0: It is interesting, there are times when I come to the pulpit with great hope and, and enthusiasm, and then there are times I come with uh, trepidation, there are times I come, I guess, a little down, and today is one of those little down days, and it's, it's not because of anything that has happened in my life, far from it. I think part of it is what I observed in a, um, that I won't bore you with, that kind of had me thinking. And then the scriptures today. For you see, all too often we seek for people to recognize something. If you recognize the problem, that's wonderful, but you didn't solve it by recognizing it. And all too often when we see the scriptures and, and we go through and, and talk about what Jesus does and is, and that's wonderful. But the sad thing is, is that the people around him recognize his power and his authority. But then don't go to the next step and say, well, if that's true, then I should live my life according to what he says, because he has authority and power. And a lot of times we are very concerned about our salvation and that I know that Jesus is my Savior, but we don't talk much about him being our Lord. And that's kind of what the underlying message to, today is is that Jesus has great authority and power. Last time we took a look and he had authority and power over nature. He was able to compel fish to be where they needed to be and to be caught in the numbers that would cause those who were calling to follow him to be impacted by it. And he's going to continue to show these great miraculous powers. But I also want to not only praise Jesus, but observe those around him. And so in Luke chapter 4, starting with verse 31, it says this. He came down to Capernaum, a city in Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were amazed at his teaching for his message was with authority. Jesus regularly, as a part of his routine, would go to the synagogues and preach and teach. And it must have been, as the scripture said, amazing to hear him. And they recognized that when he taught, he taught with authority. Now usually authority means you have the right to do something and Jesus certainly had the right to teach and to preach because of who he is and was. But in this case I want you to kind of drop three letters from authority. For he was the author of what he spoke. Now technically the Holy Spirit was the one who God breathed into the writings of the scriptures. But I want you to understand. When Zechariah and Amos and Nathaniel and Obadiah and Joel and Jonah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Isaiah and Jeremiah all the other prophets were prophets, he was, I am. And when Moses gave the law and when he observed God in the wilderness, Jesus was, I am. And when Abraham was called, Jesus was, I am. And when Adam and Eve We're in the garden, in that paradise state. Jesus was, I am. For you see, he didn't just observe the scriptures and read the scriptures. He was there. And a person who is an eyewitness certainly has greater authority and ability to communicate than one who simply interprets the scriptures. So Jesus had authority to teach. And it must have been amazing to hear him. But the sad thing is they were amazed, but we're not told that they came to faith. When I read this, in the term amazed, I, I think of the, the old hymn, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. The amazement of the grace was that I understand that he saved a person even like me. It was amazing grace because it was applied to me in faith. And while I was teaching in the synagogue, in the synagogue there was a man possessed by a spirit of an unclean demon, which I kind of find interesting because it seems like unclean and demon aren't necessarily needed. Because if you're a demon, I suspect you're unclean. But to drive home the point, an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Let us alone. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You see, the demon recognizes who Jesus is. Even calls out, you're the Holy One of God. And I know what power you have. You can destroy me. Is that why you've come? And not only does he know he's the Holy One, he knows his background. He came, Jesus of Nazareth. The demons recognized who he is, but they don't submit to him. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. Isn't it interesting, if it's true, then why would Jesus stop him? I believe for two reasons. Notice, I believe for two reasons. One, because Jesus doesn't want a demon to declare it. He's called for you and me to come to faith to declare who he is. And the second is if it rolls up that quickly, the timing isn't right. So he rebukes him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst of the people, he came out of him without doing him any harm. And amazement came upon them all. Again, they were amazed. And they were even told that Jesus is the Holy One, the Son of God. But we don't see faith. We see amazement. And amazement came upon them all, and they began talking with one another, saying, what is this message? Good question. If the message is from the Holy One of God, maybe you ought to do something about it. For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits And they come out. Again, they recognize something. They recognize that Jesus has the authority not only to preach, but the authority to command demons, and they listen, and the power to compel them, and they listen. Now, to give you an example of the difference, authority again means the right to, and power means that you can accomplish it. So, for instance, if I were made a deputy sheriff, I was deputized, and I was given an arrest warrant, and I'm going to name two people so that there's a broader spectrum, Chuck Norris and Jet Li. Hopefully, you all know. If you don't know, they're two guys who are actors who are, have great uh, combat skills. They are they're really good at what they do. If they didn't voluntarily come, upon, come with me, if I arrested them, I would have no power to arrest them. Because they would kick my you-know-what. Even if I were a lot younger, they would still do so. Because I don't have the power to cause them to come into my control because they have greater skill and power than me. They recognized that Jesus not only had the authority, but he had the power to compel evil spirits to listen. So you would think they would come to faith. He had authority to teach and preach. He had authority and power over unclean spirits. But what they respond in is in amazement. And the report about him was spreading into every locality in the surrounding district. Jesus is becoming more and more famous for doing miracles than for being the Son of God. Verse 38, kind of like people in our church. Then he got up and left the synagogue and entered Simon's home. They're going to have a little dinner or lunch or something after service. So he goes to Peter's house, Simon and Peter's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. They asked him to help her. Now at this point, it would be easy to start telling mother-in-law jokes. But since my mother-in-law is with the Lord, I can't get her riled up, so what's the point of me telling mother-in-law jokes? But it's interesting that he, that Peter's mother-in-law is living with them. Also, I find interesting what is never discussed in the scriptures. Now, the scriptures about Jesus but we're never told the interactions between Peter and his wife. For you see, Peter follows Jesus. We don't see his wife saying, yay, go for it. Or why are you always gone? We don't see that interaction. However, I suspect, I suspect Because Jesus healed her mother, Peter's mother-in-law. Impacted her faith. And it was easier to let Peter be a follower of Christ. And standing over her, and the other scripture says that he touches her, he rebuked the fever and it left her. You see, Jesus even has authority and power over illness. I suspect he rebukes the fever so that people know that it's him who's doing the healing. Now, she must have been a good woman because it says she immediately got up and waited on them. It was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm still sick. I'm still a little faint. No, she immediately gets up and waits on them. She served Jesus and the rest. Because she's been given the healing power to do so. So she responds to the healing. Verse 40. And while the sun was setting, all those who were, who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and laying his hands on each of them, he was healing them. Jesus who has the authority And the power to simply speak the word can heal. But he chooses to lay his hand on those that is healing. It's a personal touch. You see, Jesus isn't indifferent to those who he heals and ministers to. He touches them. Demons also were coming out of many, shouting, You are the Son of God. But rebuking them, he would not allow them to speak, because they knew him to be the Christ. Again, so sad. The people who are being healed should be saying, You are the Son of God. And instead, it's the demons who recognize who he is. The sad thing is, is that in today's world is not so much different than then. We bring people to Jesus, or we go to Jesus because we have a felt need. My mother has cancer. My brother's has this disease. I'm in financial difficulty, whatever the situation may be, we have a certain felt need that we go and are compelled to go to God. And when He does touch us, and when He does heal us, sometimes we say thank you. Sometimes we say it was simply a coincidence that I got well, or the doctors were wrong in their preliminary diagnosis. Or we may even recognize that Jesus healed us. And having recognized it, it doesn't convert to faith. It simply is, what will you do for me next time? You see, Jesus came to heal because he loved. And Jesus came to heal because he wanted to demonstrate who he was. The testimony of the father is that he's the son of God. The testimony of John the baptizer was that he was the son of God. The testimony of the works that Jesus did showed that he was the son of God. And he did these things out of love and testimony of who he is. And we should do more than recognize who he is. But to follow and serve him just as Peter's mother-in-law served them. Now, Jesus is the son of God. He's God and he's man. And if I were to try to explain all of this, I would have become a heretic. Because it's beyond human comprehension to say that this man is God, and yet this God is man. Because the scripture says the Lord our God is one. But yet the scriptures clearly teach there are three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But this God-man does something unique for a God-man. For you would think that he would be, and excuse the irreverent comparison, the Energizer Bunny. He would have the power of God within him, and he could go and 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 go. But while he's fully God, he's fully man. And notice what he does. Verse 42. And when day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place. Jesus left the crowds. But there were so many people seeking for him. There were so many people that needed to be healed. But Jesus left for a secluded place. Now, now, we're not told at this particular instance why he goes to a secluded place. But in every other time we're told when he goes into seclusion... It is for him to commune with the Father. Jesus needs to take a break. He doesn't take a break from God. He takes a break from ministry. If Jesus, the Son of God, God, God-man, needs to find seclusion, perhaps you and I do too. I've heard pastors say, you can either rust out or burn out, and they choose to burn out. Rust out because you don't do anything, burn out because you do too much. The answer ultimately becomes, you're both out. Whether you rust out or burn out, you're out. You're not in the game anymore. Jesus doesn't take a break from God. He communes with him. He determines what it is God wants him to do. And when we take breaks, it's not to take a break from God. Although that's a lot of what we do. We take, we go on vacation and we do whatever. Again, vacation, recreation, seclusion is necessary. And this is one area... Not the seclusion is where I'm close to being like Jesus. I like to be alone. I mean, that, that's a vacation right there. There have been times my wife has allowed me to say, things are bugging you. Why don't you just go spend a couple of days on your own and do whatever? She understands that I need that private time. But vacation is not vacation from God vacation from your regular routine, so that you might energize, that you might understand what God is calling you to do next. Because too often we can be so busy, we can be so busy that we don't get anything accomplished, because we're just busy. And we don't see what God is doing and calling us to do because our head's down, rather than being out what He wants us to do. So Jesus went to a secluded place. And it's interesting. I was like, well, you know, Jesus has been really busy. He's been healing people. He's been preaching. He's been teaching. He's been casting out demons. You know, maybe he needs some alone time. No. And the crowds were searching for him. It's not about what you need, Jesus. It's about what I need. So the crowd were searching for him. And they came to him and tried to keep him from going away from them. We want you here. We want the benefits of what you do. We want the healing. We want that power. We want that. It's not that we're going to change our lives. We just want you here. But he said to them, I must, it's not that I want to, it's not that it's a good idea, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also. For I was sent for this purpose. You see, Jesus said, hey, I've been in Capernaum. It seems like pretty successful. People are coming to me. They don't want me to leave. I'm really popular. My fame is spreading. And so maybe I'll just stay here and let people come to me. That wasn't God's plan. He sent his son to go out to the poor, to the needy, to the sick, to the broken. And the interesting thing is, he still continues to do so. For he has commanded us to go to the remotest part of the world, to make disciples, teaching them everything that he has commanded. And he says, lo, I am with you always, even to the end. So as we minister, Jesus is there ministering. And it takes all of about 90 seconds in this world to understand that it's broken. That it's sick, that it has not only illnesses and diseases, but it says sin. It has a culture that says it's all about me. And Jesus is still healing. But what saddens me is that we still are amazed at his doing, but not followers of who he is. We still want the miracles, we still want the show. Instead of simply saying, Jesus, I have a need. But I will follow you regardless of whether you feel that need or not. If you do, praise God. If you don't, praise God. Because in your infinite wisdom, you know what's best for me. That you may heal me of this disease, or you may not. And if you don't, it may be because you want to show me more of who you are. But there is one disease that he wants to heal you of. and That's called sin. He wants to take your broken life and heal it. Our culture tells you that you have a purpose and yet at the other end tells you that we're all from goo and we're all just going to be put in the ground and go away anyway. But Jesus says, God loves you so much so that he gave his son for you that you may have life, have it abundantly, and have it eternally. You see, you may have cancer, and God heal you. But eventually, your body will wear out. But he has promised to give you something that will never, ever wear out. A new body without pain, without tears, without death. Because that's the authority and power he has. And if that's the power and authority he has, then we shouldn't more than be amazed. We should be followers of this healer. And all God's people said,